You're listening to episode 93 of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for birds on the black. He's Alex, I'm Tara, and the 2020 St. Louis Cardinals made it, not just to the end, but to the postseason. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. This is the first, I guess, postseason episode of Chirps for 2020, which is something I'm not sure I really expected to say when we were shutting things down in February and March, and then again, later after the season finally did get started. So welcome to the postseason. The Cardinals will play the day that you're listening to this on Wednesday in their first game against the Padres in San Diego. And we'll talk about that a little bit more as we we go along. But first of all, I am as usual, I was going to say always, but it's not it's not actually always. Alex held down the fort last week for me while I was unavailable and he is back with me tonight. So Alex, thanks for controlling things, keeping shop tie in line last week. How are you this time around? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, still trying to wrap my head around this whole postseason thing. So we'll get to that in a little bit. But the season, the regular season ended almost as quickly as it started. And, uh, you know, I don't think it surprised anyone that the Cardinals uh, held on to the very last day in order to try to claim their place in the postseason. Before we get to that, Alex, uh, like three weeks ago, I don't know if it was this podcast or the podcast I do with Daniel Shopta on Sundays, that I specifically said the Cardinals have to be in the top two in the NL Central because there's no way and a wildcard team comes from this division. <laughs> and then <laughs> four teams from the NL Central made it into the postseason. Again, expanded playoffs, weird, not sure the, the merit of all of that and whatever, especially considering the Brewers are a sub-500 team that made it in. But wild that that was the turn things took in the last week. Do we know if there's ever been another example of two teams celebrating after the same game uh, for making the postseason <laughs> as what happened on uh, Sunday, I guess? I, I don't know. I, I feel like that is something that probably could have happened at some point, but, you know, only in the, the wildcard era, right, where you would have to have... <laughs> a team who clinches the division and a wildcard team play. I don't know. That's it's a weird scenario. And it was definitely strange to watch that series unfold because at the, at the onset of that series with the Brewers, it was kind of like, well, if they lose a game, they're done. And then other teams kept losing. <laughs> and all of a sudden they were still in the mix. And, and you're right. They both celebrated in opposite uh, clubhouses after the game, socially distant, of course, or at least that's what they want us all to believe. And here we go. Postseason starting with the Cardinals and the Reds and the Brewers who were all chasing the Cubs landing in uh, in postseason spots in this crazy 16-team <laughs> March Madness. I don't know what you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, on the one hand, I want to laugh at, I guess, both the Cardinals and the Brewers for celebrating after clinching a playoff spot with a record of 30-28 and 28 and 29-31, and 31 respectively. But on the other hand, they're probably, uh, because the season was so weird, and especially for the Cardinals, because they, you know, sat sat idle for two and a half weeks. Uh, I, I think just getting through it in and of itself probably felt like some sort of accomplishment <laughs> yeah. for them. And that they, uh, it was probably neat for every team on the last day to kind of be like, somehow we managed to arrive at this spot, which seemed impossible at, I guess, the I don't even remember when it was when it was like, oh, they're actually going to play. You know, they're actually being told you are going to play. This is going to happen. I don't quite remember when that was, but I do feel like at the beginning of the summer, it seemed like an impossibility that we would arrive at the point that we did on Sunday. And I almost feel as though I owe baseball a little more credit than I gave them throughout this whole process because I was pretty negative. Um, and all things, you know, it, they actually, it actually worked, seemed to have worked out okay. You know, there were problems, but it went better than I thought it was going to. And I think I owe them a little more credit than I was giving them the whole time. 
Yeah, that's probably fair. I think we were in very similar places as far as our perspective on how they were handling things. But I would also say, I don't think they got anywhere close to getting it right the first time. And that's why you had kind of the Marlins and Cardinals situation that everybody went, oh, right, that thing we were going to do isn't going to (laughs) work. So then they had to adapt and adjust. And and to their credit, they did that. They found a way to get both of the those teams, the Marlins and the Cardinals, the time off that they needed to get a handle on their outbreaks. And then credit to the teams themselves for kind of recommitting to perhaps even stricter restrictions and guidelines than what MLB laid out, which was kind of the play all along, right? I mean, we talked very early on that there was no plan in place in the MLB handbook that gave any indication of what happens when someone tests positive, what happens when you have an outbreak, and how are you enforcing any sort of restrictions with these teams? It was very clearly defined that MLB was not going to have a say in that. It was supposed to just be the teams on their own. So when you leave it up to people who aren't experts <laughs> to make those decisions, there was bound to be some some misses, perhaps more than uh, anyone would have liked for there to be at the very beginning of the season. But they did managed to find a way to make it work. And they were willing to, I think, take such a big break as far as the Cardinals were concerned and then get them back on track as much as possible. I, I guess we should also acknowledge they the Cardinals did only play 58 games of the 60-game season. They did not need that two-game uh, set with the Tigers to wrap things up, which was a good thing because no one wanted one more doubleheader in this mix. But it felt like even more of a marathon than it was ever going to be just because of all the doubleheaders and all of the games without off days. And it's got to feel a little weird for the Cardinals now to kind of focus on almost a normal baseball schedule. I I realize there aren't going to be off days and, you know, once they go to the bubbles and that sort of thing, but um, assuming they make it there, uh, we'll talk about that later, but it's got to feel nice to be able to just kind of do one series of baseball (laughs) without doubleheaders, without, you know, the pressure of 17 games in a row or whatever at the peak of their season. I'm with you. I'm a little bit in shock that we got this far. (laughs) I'm a little in shock that the Cardinals got this far after not only their big layoff, but some of the struggles that they had throughout the summer. Alex, when you think about this season and how chaotic it was, are there like positives and negatives, <laughs> good takeaways, things that you hope you never ever see again from this season? Hmm. Yes, on both the sorry, the negatives. Uh, so bad news first, uh, I guess. Uh, I really hated how uh, it. There was a point where it felt like we were just getting started. Uh, now we weren't just getting started. We were well into the swing of things by this point. Um, but but I hated how massive, like, the three-game deficit to the Cubs fell. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it felt like they'd barely played, uh, you know, a handful of games. Uh, you know, they played, like, 40 games or something. And three games behind the Cubs felt way different than it would have during a normal season for obvious reasons. So I hated... Uh, I don't know if hate is the right word. I, I really disliked how uh, it just kind of threw me off. Like, you know, normally you don't worry about that. You're like, okay, there's plenty of time to make that up. And I still think, you know, because even though four teams from this division made the playoffs, I don't know if any of the teams are really that good. And so I still think there's a chance, who knows, that the Cardinals could have caught the Cubs or outlasted the Cubs. I don't know. Maybe the Reds could have. I mean, who knows? Um so I, I did not enjoy that aspect of it. I also, baseball to me has always been a very methodical game. I'm so mm-hmm. used to it working on a certain scale, I guess, uh, whether that be 162 games. I've talked about this before. And like I, I just know how my brain works and how I understand stats. Um, I'm always comparing it to that 162-game schedule. So it was very hard um, to kind of like – move that part of your brain uh, away and just like think about this, I don't know, season in a whole different light. Uh, I, I, it was just, it just didn't feel 100% real. I think because of that the whole time. I, now I will say what I did enjoy. I liked the seven game double headers. I thought those worked out 
much better than I thought they were going to when they were first announced. It seemed crazy to me when they first said it. Uh, and I, I thought it worked just fine. I don't know if I want them to keep doing that going forward. Um, because I'm assuming going forward, we're not going to see so, so many double headers. Uh, <laughs> ideally that, that won't be the case. Uh, I also like the fact that because this season never felt 100% real, I, I, I felt like I could check out a little bit more, more so <laughs> than I normally would. Uh, if a game was on and uh, the Cardinals were losing and it was like the seventh inning, I could be like, you know, I'm just going to not watch this. And I, I didn't feel all that bad about it. So I, I guess I enjoyed like the break, I guess, that uh, it, that this season allowed for that a baseball season normally does not allow for. Yeah. You could pay attention when you wanted to and then walk away from it when you didn't. That was definitely different this season. I think I I agree with that in terms of this always kind of felt like bonus because we went so long thinking we weren't going to have baseball at all. Plus it was so weird that it was kind of like, and, and to your first point, one of the things that I didn't like about this season is that it feels impossible to accurately analyze anything that happened. So whether it's Jack Flaherty being off this season or whether it's the lack of offense for some or Paul Goldschmidt being good or the defense or the whatever, whether it's Cardinals or otherwise, it just feels really impossible to get a grasp of what anything means <laughs> as far as results this season. So didn't love that because like you were saying, we all kind of understand what uh, a stat line looks like in a good year normally or Mm -hmm. a bad year normally. And even with things like, you know, WRC plus, you kind of base that whole concept on, okay, what's average? What's, what's normal look like? And there was nothing normal about this year and the way people went about doing their normal jobs. So I found it really hard, you know, and people would ask me, my dad would do this often, what's going on with so-and-so? What's going on with this? Or what happened there? And I just felt like I had no good answers not that, you know, we ever have any good answers, right? We use we use the numbers that we have, but everybody's just making stuff up at some point or another. But it felt really impossible to come to any sort of like informed conclusion about the way that things happened on the field. So I didn't love that about it. I will say I'm very intrigued whether it's the number of games, the shortened season, you mentioned the possibility of how these teams in the NL Central would have looked over the course of 162 games. And I'm going to make a correlation here to the seven-inning doubleheader thing because I wonder how much a shortened season like this helped a team like the Padres, who got really hot, were really exciting, and didn't have to go through that stretch in the middle where they were like, okay, well, we can't play like this all the time. So (laughs) there's going to be a slump somewhere in the middle, and then you have to try to regain that momentum. They didn't really have to go through that, not in, in the way that you normally do over the course of a full season. You add 100 games to their schedule. And I have no idea what to imagine that team looks like. So they may have benefited, much like I think the White Sox may have benefited, from getting off to, uh, maybe not getting off to a good start, because that's really what the Dodgers did, that's what the Cubs did, and they sort of outlasted everyone in that regard. But the, the teams that were exciting because of that youth, because of their potential, didn't have to maintain it as long. And the correlation I'm about to make to the seven-inning doubleheaders is that I think the seven-inning doubleheaders actually helped the Cardinals significantly because you could throw Adam Wainwright for seven innings. You could throw Kim for seven innings. You could get away with maybe a five-inning start, and then your bullpen only had to cover two innings. And while I think the 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 pros versus cons of playing 11 doubleheaders and then only playing seven innings in them probably balances out. I think that the Cardinals fared much better, even in some of those cases where they played two games in one day, simply because of how they could set up their pitching thanks to those seven inning doubleheaders. And I wonder how some of those pieces would have played out if they played 69 inning games versus the 11 games that were only seven innings each. So that's just one of the oddities of this season, whether it's the compact nature of the entire season that may have benefited some teams that didn't fall off a cliff anywhere along the way, or the seven inning doubleheaders for the Cardinals specifically in the way that it allowed them to utilize their pitching staff, which is not something I would have expected to say when that schedule came out. Yeah, good question. Um, 
Another funny thing, uh, well, I don't know, funny thing, but I guess observation about this season is I mentioned that I, I was able at, from time to time to check out on the Cardinals unlike I would normally do during a normal season. I can't tell you how much I completely dismiss the rest of the league, uh, especially the American <laughs> League. Um, I, it, I was just looking at stats today. I had no idea that Anthony Rendon had a really good season for the Angels. Uh, I mean, that shouldn't surprise me. And his season isn't even that much. Uh, it's a very Anthony Rendon-like season. Uh, but I don't think I ever once stumbled upon his name <laughs> during the 60 games. Uh, and, and that's, believe me, that's my fault, not his. Uh, so I pretty much ignored the league as a whole. And I'm finding out a lot the last couple of days when I've been just going through the stats of the league. Uh, no one, I remember, uh, I'm trying to think of all the things I was like wrong about. Like, uh, I remember before the season, I said some of the effect of, I still think like the cream will rise to the top that the ba- the best teams will still uh, kind of show themselves over 60 games. And I don't know if I was right or right. I mean, <laughs> there's a chance I was right. Uh, you know, like in the Dodgers and, and so forth. Um, obviously, uh, I, I don't think there's any illusion about them. Like clearly over a normal schedule, the Dodgers are easily in first place in that division. And over 162 games, the Pirates are probably very much aggressively in last place i i would say but other than that i really don't know kind of like what you said it's hard to get a grasp of what we're watching uh and so i I really don't know if that was true or not um you know we didn't we briefly talk about would anyone hit 400 blah blah yeah Um, i'm looking right now the uh uh, DJ LeMahieu led the American League in batting uh, with a 364 average, and Juan Soto led the NL at with 351. Uh, Paul Goldschmidt led the Cardinals with. Uh, it would have been a very Cardinals thing to do to not have a single guy bat over 300. I know we don't care about batting <laughs> average anymore, but it would have been a very Cardinals thing to do to not have a single guy bat over 300 in a, during a 60 game season. But Paul Goldschmidt did actually bat over 300. He hit 304, so we got someone, at least one player, over that hump. And uh, I assume you know this. I assume a lot of people have been talking about this. Uh, but, you know, Luke Voigt led the American League in home runs and Marcelo mm-hmm. Zuna led the National League. So, so that's <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, and I, I'm going to look, at, look it up right now. But were the Cardinals dead last in home runs? Um, you know, notwithstanding the fact that they uh, played the fewest games. But it would not shock me if they were. I don't I don't know in home runs, but I do want to share this uh, back and forth on Twitter from earlier. Yes, um, I just last they were last in home runs. Yeah, okay, that doesn't surprise me. 51 home runs. Next next is Diamondbacks with 58. <laughs> oh boy, that's not a that's not a great person to be behind. Uh, the NL Central had the five lowest team batting averages in the league. <laughs> The Cardinals lead that. Okay, the Cardinals have the best batting average in the NL Central, but they're also the 14th out of 15 NL teams in OPS. <sighs> well, they because what? they don't hit for any extra base <laughs> hits at all. Uh, it, it, I I said to Daniel last week when we were talking about how just like boring this team's offensive profile is. I said like I, I feel like a lot of people feel this way about their teams. And that that's the case when it comes to our competition, at least the NL central. Like if you paid attention to Cubs Twitter at all this year, they were complaining frequently about how bad the team was like with the bases loaded and no mm-hmm. outs or one out. And man, it sounded just like us at times. Uh, so yeah, that is funny that the Cardinals led the, uh, would you say they led the NL Central and batting NL Central average? and batting average, but in the <laughs> okay. entire National League, they were 14th out of 15 in OPS. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, but that's um, just that's just the weirdness of this year. And I, I mean, I guess they say it's weirdness of this year that profiles a lot like last year did for the Cardinals. Maybe not to the extreme that it is in a shortened season, but. Mm-hmm. That, that's what was so bizarre to watch about this team this year. And that's why it was not entirely surprising, I guess, to get down to the last week of the season and realize they could very easily not only not make it into the postseason, but somehow end up like fourth in the division if they fell apart in that last week. That's how close. And it, it reminds me of, I, I cover a lot of high school football. And there's not a ton of really great high school football players or high school football teams in this area. 
A lot of times there are teams that don't have much of a quarterback, so they just run the ball, a lot of penalties, whatever. But you can get a good game because the teams are evenly matched, not because either one of them is actually very good. So they're like equally average. <laughs> that's how I felt that? about... Do you tell them that after the game? When yes, you're yes. That's, I like to make high school kids cry by telling them they're... You, you all suck. Yeah, but average. Luckily, the other teams suck too, so that was very entertaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but that's how I feel about this, this division in particular, and really a lot of the season. I mean, I think the American League side of the bracket looks a little more impressive, but there were still a lot of just barely above 500 teams that were right in the mix up until the the very end. So it feels like, okay, we saw some close games. We saw what could be considered good games as far as, you know, not knowing who's going to (laughs) win. But it's not because they were both exceptional teams. It was because they were both... aggressively mediocre as far as their offense is concerned. And that's not really what you want to talk about going into the postseason. Um, but, you know, here we are. Yeah, I will say it would have been very disappointing had the Cardinals not made the postseason. Yes. Uh, like, <laughs> that's like the one. All right, when I realized we were doing this and they announced that they're doing 16 games, I was like, all right, you just, you just have to make it. You have right. to. You cannot not make the postseason this year. Uh, now, you could make a decent argument that uh, maybe, especially if they, you know, are one and done against the Padres, that maybe it would be better off if they don't make the postseason. That then finally, you know, the team's not going to be able to say, like, look, like, how could you complain about this roster? They've made the postseason two years in a row, blah, blah, blah. Um, Sure, but I, I just can't be a fan that way. You know, I, I really, really would have been disappointed <laughs> if they hadn't made the postseason. That would have been very bad. So I'm, I, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied with the team. I, I, especially with all that they went through, they should feel pretty proud that they were able to navigate. I mean, I, you know, there were articles being written Tara, like, like uh, while the Cardinals were not playing, that was basically saying like the Cardinals should have to shut it down. Like they shouldn't yeah. even be allowed to come back in. And for them to have the schedule that they did, I don't even know what the final tally was in terms of the amount of games and the number of days, but for them to be able to get through that and, and still, you know, make it to finish above 500, I think is a pretty good accomplishment something they should certainly proud of and I'm certainly satisfied because like I said I would have been really disappointed had they not made the postseason when there are 16 teams like that would feel pretty unacceptable even given these circumstances so I'm just glad I don't even have to grapple with that situation yeah no I'm glad you brought that up I was about to say the same thing that it it on one hand, maybe it would have been better for like future decisions made about the team uh, but it would have been really hard to uh Really hard to, well, to, to swallow that happening this season because, I mean, a, a, a sub-500 team got in. <laughs> you got to at least make it at that point. <laughs> well, I, I said to someone, uh, it may have been shopped on today, uh, like unless like the Dodgers win the World Series or uh, I don't know. So I don't even know who the – or some other really good team. I, whatever. But like whoever wins the World Series um, – I think they're exempt from their fan base is exempt from ever making fun of the 2006 Cardinals ever again, because, (laughs) uh, you know, if there's ever a season in which like a world series, uh, now don't get me wrong, the Cardinals won the world series. I'm going to enjoy it very much. And I think a fan base, whoever wins this world series, their fans should enjoy it very much. They just can't make fun of us for enjoying 2006. I I think that's completely fair. I think that's fair. And I would also add, to your point about you know this team kind of being proud of the way that they made it through that gauntlet I would add to that not only in coming back from the struggles that they did have with COVID but in kind of facing the facts that this was more than they expected it to be and it got out of control before they even realized it was a problem and then having to put into place some restrictions that we don't even know what they all were but we have heard in the last week or so a a number of people 
talk about the fact that, uh, you know, they just kind of like missed their teammates, which was an odd thing to hear because, you know, we see them on the field, in the in the dugout, whatever. But that's such a, a small piece of what is their normal in a season where they don't have to be socially distant all the time and they can, you know, hang out, whether it's in the clubhouse before a game or after a game or go to dinner or golf on their off days, which they didn't really (laughs) have much of this year. But, um, you know, it was interesting hearing that kind of commentary after the fact that like this was hard mentally because they didn't, they almost didn't have that support system of their teammates that they normally do. And to go through a season like this, as challenging as it was to then have the added drama of a two week plus shutdown while some of their teammates had COVID and they didn't know how anyone was going to fare. They knew that some of them went to the hospital. They knew that coming back, there was no guarantee what their health and their condition was going to be. And then they couldn't be around those guys to kind of bounce ideas off of or get a, you know, pat on the back when things were going poorly and, and have that. So that's an element of this that I don't know that I had really thought about in terms of just how much more draining that was for these guys to try to work through when it was so isolating just for them to make it through the season. So in light of that, as well as just kind of the physical (laughs) demands of playing, you know, 58 games in, you know, whatever it was like 25 days, right? That seems, (laughs) that seems about right. Um, just so much went into getting them through the summer that yeah man it's gotta it's gotta one feel good to get to the end of it but also be a little bit uh almost like bittersweet because they can't enjoy it the way that they would have liked to which is kind of life for all of us right now right yeah it it is and i i keep hoping saying that I really, this really better be the last time we see a season like this. It would be really, and and it's a very real possibility that next season is going to look somewhat similar to this as well. And that would certainly be a a shame. But yeah, my only hope is that this season truly is an outlier. And one will be able to look back and just be like, oh yeah, that was wild. That was crazy that that happened. Um, It's fun to talk about now, but let's never, let's not do that anymore. Well, even though this Cardinals team, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about the fact that they're pretty uninspiring, <laughs> kind of boring. And now we're like, good job, guys. Way, way to make it through that. But I think that's just sort of the nature of this team and this season. But even so, uh, are, are there standouts as far as guys that impressed you this year? And, you know, I don't know how negative we want to go on, on this show, but somebody that you were maybe disappointed in uh, the way that things played out this year? Well, I, I think disappointing first person that comes to mind would have to be Jack Flaherty, even though I don't think it's as big a deal as perhaps we were making it or some people were making it. I, I feel as though over a normal season, he uh, he would have righted the ship. And even saying that makes it sound way worse than what it actually was. Uh but, but it's, you know, especially after how he ended last year, I, I think we were expecting kind of that dominance to carry over a little bit more. And it was there sometimes, but mostly he looked, he looked, you know, he looked fine, but not dominant. And there were times where he looked terrible, like that game we were watching when we were recording um, in at Milwaukee. Uh, from the disappointed but not surprised category i would just say the offense (laughs) uh the the entire offense you know it's one of those weird things because you know i i always write to posts like about like okay look they haven't finished in last since 1990 they've this is now the 13th season in a row that they've been above 500 and 20 of the last 21 seasons um they're pretty much still the most dominant team in the nl central since it was formed they haven't finished you know they've they have a 21-year streak of finishing ahead of the Pirates. Uh, so it looks as though I'm like lauding all this praise on a team that does seem kind of mediocre at times. And it's like this weird like thing to – it's like this hard thing to reconcile that I'm sure you understand. Like I, I think two things that we would both agree with is that, one, the team has been very successful um, in recent years and going back 20 years. Like, like – Few people would argue with that. Mm-hmm. And two, the people who are in charge 
of this team are better at that at that job than we would be if we were all of a sudden thrust into that job. That said, it doesn't mean we aren't able to criticize and figure out the flaws with this team and speculate on the flaws of this team, but it can feel weird to do that without at least acknowledging those first two points. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, it's always hard. Like, it's always hard to f- figure out where to land when it comes to criticizing the Cardinals. Yeah. Because, yeah, of course, like, I, I you know, a couple years ago, you could count on, I would say, I, I mean, over the last 20 years, you could count on one hand the amount of teams that have been more successful than the Cardinals. Um, you could maybe count on one finger. Uh, I, you know, the Cardinals have been that good. But there's yeah. still that but, like, come on. <laughs> like, if Luke Voigt and Marcelo Zuna are hitting 40 home runs and your whole team hit 51, like, we are going to be upset about that. You know, <laughs> like, there mm-hmm. is clearly uh, – now, if, if this was kind of more of a long game where they're just like, look, we are going to play it more conservative in a season where it's there's going to be so much uncertainty and 16 teams make the playoffs, then I kind of get that. Uh, but it does feel like it was – more of a trend based on how they've handled the last few seasons. And so I'm always struggling to kind of figure out the best way to criticize this team where it's fair criticism and honest criticism. Uh, Do you know what I mean? Like, like it's it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's hard being a Cardinals fan. Well, but I mean, Cardinals fans are spoiled. And we, yeah, it's, it's, we, have the privilege time it's like we're doing what every fan base would be doing if they were right yeah we're we have the privilege of having watched some very successful teams for a very extended period of time but that doesn't eliminate the frustration especially when you it, it it goes, goes back to this, and we've had this conversation before. How do you determine success? Is it World Series titles or is it making the postseason? Is it above 500 teams? Is it attendance? Is it what? How are you defining success? And by many accounts, the Cardinals have been one of the most successful teams in baseball in the last, gosh, I don't even know how far back you want to go. Um, and that's great. And I think it's fair to recognize that and also recognize that in direct comparison to other teams from a like position by position standpoint, they're not that exciting and they might win and they might find ways to make the postseason and keep things interesting as far as their results every year. But there are flaws with this team that make it impossible to just sit back and enjoy their success as opposed to looking at them and going, "Ah, okay, they made the postseason but they very likely could have not made the postseason because of some of the problems that it, it appears there are with kind of the structure and the makeup of the team. So I, I think I I totally get your point and I agree with you. It's hard to know it's hard to know how much of the criticism is valid in the sense of okay, but are they actually successful? And this is just the the side effect of having watched a successful team for so many years? Or is it fair to say, okay, yeah, they're good, but they should be better? And I think that's the the odd line we try to find. And, you know, that's uh, part of the problem with trying to be a rational fan to some extent, <laughs> uh, as opposed to just complaining when they don't win every single game, which we could, you know, totally do and and be justified in that in terms of the, you're a fan and you're supposed to want them to win every single game. So it is hard. And I think it's even harder in a season like this. And we keep talking about that. I think there will forever be a, a caveat to this season in that sense, where it's just, it's so hard to even know what to analyze and what to be critical of because there was so much else going on. I, I think, yeah, I, w- I would agree with you uh, again in terms of Jack Flaherty. The disappointment there isn't necessarily on him for like suddenly being bad. <laughs> it's just a disappointment in comparison to I think what we were expecting. Um, I think the same thing could be said for Carlos Martinez in some respects, but I I would also argue, and I think I said this to Daniel Shopta on Sunday night, that I have to make 
to some extent, the same caveat for Carlos Martinez that he didn't pitch a whole lot this year either to kind of work into a regular routine. Plus, he was one of the hospitalized, well, not hospitalized, he went to the ER uh, more than once um, when he was recovering from COVID. So we don't know the lasting effects of that. So it's hard to even then be super critical or too terribly disappointed because he did come back and he did make a run at it. It just didn't go quite like he or anyone else had hoped that it would. Um, I do think, though, one of the things that was really interesting about this season, just sort of by the nature of how they had to do things, was some of the guys that we saw make an impact, particularly on the bullpen. I mean, I don't think Krismat was a guy that any of us <laughs> expected to even have to know who he was this season. Uh, and then he ended up pitching some really important innings for this team. So there were those kinds of stories that I would say maybe are the positive for me as far as individual performances go. Um, just some of those guys who got a chance that probably wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and I think I would also add Alex Reyes to that list, seeing him <laughs> complete the summer, even a, a shortened summer, and to do so pretty effectively was um, pretty cool. And, and uh, about time. We've been looking forward to that for a long time um in terms of the entire team could you give a, a grade to this team this season or is it just like an incomplete because who knows <laughs> no uh let's see i think normally i would give them a c okay or a c plus but i'm gonna give them a little extra credit given what they had to go through and the fact that you can still make an argument that they came out on the other side because they are going to be playing tomorrow, and I'm excited for that. So I think B minus, mm -hmm. uh, B if we're grading on some crazy curve, maybe a B if we're, you know, I, I, I could be talked into a B. If, if, you know, if the Cardinals get their report card and they want to come visit the professor in the office afterwards and, ex and make their case why they deserve to be bumped up a little bit, I would listen to that. Uh, so B minus, possibly a B. I would say that the uh, breakout season for Fred Bird is the extra credit that would boost them <laughs> to a B in, in my book. Uh, but I would agree. I think, you know, just looking at performance, just looking at results, C would probably be about where you would end up. But because of all of the other pieces to the puzzle, you got to give them a little extra credit there. So yeah, I, I would agree with you. B minus B as far as the regular season goes. And we all know that everything gets weird in the postseason. Mm -hmm. and who knows what is going to happen there for the Cardinals though. That means a best of three series with the Padres and the Padres have been one of the teams that kind of set baseball on fire really for a stretch there in the middle that dominated headlines, right? Because of the walk-offs, because of the home runs, because of the grand slams, because of Fernando Tatis, because of, you know, all of the pieces that they have in play there. Of course, Trevor Rosenthal landed there. Um, Tommy Pham landed there. So some familiar faces for the Cardinals going into that series. I feel like if you just look at hype, <laughs> this is the Cardinals have no chance in this series. But if you look at what's actually going to happen on the field, the Cardinals pitching has been very good. Now you could argue they played a bunch of teams with average offense <laughs> that maybe will expose their pitching a little bit when they're facing better hitters. But you could also argue that, you know, the Padres have a lot of potential, but they're not hitting, you know, walk-off grand slams every night, just like every other night. It's fine. Um, <laughs> But does the matchup seem like a total landslide in favor of the Padres? And with the caveat that, like you said, because of the the marathon for the Cardinals, I have not paid enough attention to other teams to have a really firm grasp of how I think, uh, you know, these two teams will match up. But on paper, it feels a little lopsided. I kind of disagree. I feel like uh, in part and most of that is just the fact that what of what this is, which is it's impossible to predict a three game series. And I know, I know that's not what you were doing. You're, you're more comparing the teams um, as a whole in terms of like, if they were to play each other a hundred times, who would, you know, who would win right. 55 of those games or 60 of those games. Um, 
Huh, I, I could, you know, I, I could easily see the Cardinals going right in there and winning two games and then everyone just being like, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, but that's, that's how baseball works sometimes. Now, obviously, we could easily see the Cardinals lay, lay two quick eggs and, and be done. Um, uh, didn't, uh, Sarudi send us a message earlier, kind of laying out a case why we could be catching the Padres right at the right time, just yeah. based on their pitching staff right now and who, um, who would be on short rest and stuff. Um, their lineup obviously is scary uh, with Tatis and Machado, who both had very good years. Uh, like you, I can't pretend to speak intelligently about the Padres for a very long time after that. Uh, they play in a beautiful ballpark, so that's nice. Uh, even when there aren't fans there, it's a, mm-hmm. it's a nice ballpark. Uh, it's a nice setting, so... I'm happy we get to uh, see them play in, in San Diego. Not only the ballpark, but, you know, like when they're cutting to commercial and you get to see, uh, you know, just shots of San Diego and mm-hmm. the ocean. That's always good. Uh, um, it's one of the best cities for those. Uh, I really don't know. Um, I, I have no idea what's going to happen. Obviously, it's interesting that we aren't going to see Jack Flaherty possibly at all. Uh, if we do see him, it'll be because there's a third game, which is uh, weird to me. Um, I'm sure there's a reasoning for this, but I don't know quite what that reasoning is right now. So yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm just embracing the madness that this is going to be. <laughs> Are you excited for this? Uh, and when I say excited for this, I don't mean excited for playoff baseball, but excited for this actual format. And 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 looking this format this year, not excited yeah. like like if it became permanent. Thing. You know, I don't I don't hate it, and I think that there are some interesting matchups that maybe we wouldn't have seen otherwise. I think that there is potential for some March Madness style chaos, which is kind of fun, and I, I don't know really what to expect more than that. I mean, there's always some potential for chaos in the postseason, but this feels like there's more of it. Maybe it's just because there are <laughs> more teams and more of a gap as far as like one versus eight. Um, I kind of like the seeding. I-, I think that it it gives you an interesting um, look at how these teams match up, but I don't know that it's really going to play out in a way that's any more interesting than it would have been otherwise. I think the we've gotten sort of used to that one game wild card almost play in and I never loved that concept because you know nothing in baseball really comes down to one game. You always have a shot at some sort of series, but then we kind of got used to it and it could be kind of fun. And there was some uh, dramatics and there was some fireworks and there were some upsets and, and all that sort of thing. So I think that I'm intrigued by this setup. I don't love the 16 team playoff thing going forward. We've discussed that at length, but I do find myself intrigued by the way this is going to shape up and how it could go. So I guess in that, in light of that, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens. Um, And like everything else this year, because it's been so weird, like, okay, bring it on. Let it, let it be weird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it would really be a black eye for this format. If a team like the Dodgers lost, yeah. In the first round. It seems really unfair for them to have to play a three, a, a, a best of three series out of the gate. So we'll see. I don't know. I, I think I, I'm like you. I'm kind of excited for, for this show, but I don't, I, I don't need to see this again in another season. And it makes sense to me that these teams, I guess, are here because like you said, it was hard to really figure out who these teams are. So, whatever uh since we didn't have a season that could separate teams like just let more in and then you know hopefully whoever wins it all it'll feel like you know they really played great and that they really were like a champion i don't know yeah i'm excited whatever Hey, it's it's postseason baseball, right? You gotta yeah. let it be postseason baseball. I do think it will be interesting because so many people like us, I would assume, have been so focused on kind of the regional games that they've seen that, you know, now we're gonna get to see some teams that are are not so regional and 
maybe mm-hmm. maybe the uh, the national level kind of very shallow but uh, easy to digest storylines will seem less shallow this year because we haven't heard them 17,000 times. Uh, so that'll be interesting um, as we go through this. I, I do want to mention the pitching situation. You brought it up as far as Jack Flaherty is concerned. Uh, they The Cardinals have set their, their rotation in this series to be Kim, Wainwright, and then Jack Flaherty would go in game three, which has caused quite a stir on the old Twitter machine. And that's not unexpected. Everything causes quite a stir on Twitter. But it is interesting to see Jack Flaherty, who is theoretically the, yeah, I don't know, heir apparent as far as the ace is concerned, and he would have been likely this year in a normal year. But he's struggled, and he's struggled for a variety of reasons. I mean, he was on very limited pitch counts for a while, and we all know that. And then he kind of had a, a blow up against the Brewers and didn't look great against the Cubs and hasn't gone deep into games. So he hasn't looked like the Jack Flaherty that we saw last year, but he has shown the the stuff from last year in flashes, just not consistently. And then you have Kim, who has been a bit of a a revelation just in the sense of maybe the novelty of Kim is what has allowed him to be so successful, but perhaps he doesn't have the uh, um, ability to to maintain that success. We'll see. And then Adam Wainwright has been the leader of this rotation and really the anchor in a lot of ways because when they needed a stop, when they needed a a seven inning outing in a seven inning game, he gave it to him and he's looked as good as he has in a very long time. So I can understand wanting him to pitch in this series. One line that I've seen a couple of times in in a couple of different ways as it relates to who pitches in this series. And to be fair, it, it seems like him is pitching in game one, mostly because it's regular rest and then no one's, no one's going on short rest um, to, to kick things off. Um, but as far as game two, a number of people have said this, uh, and I want to know how you would fill in the blank. It would be a shame to lose that series and not have seen this guy pitch. Who would you say that about? Would you say it would be a shame to lose this series and not have had Adam Wainwright pitch? Or it'd be a shame to lose this series and not have seen Jack Flaherty pitch? Flaherty. Okay. Um, I, I just feel as though over. Uh, I, I just, I just feel he's still our best pitcher, regardless of of what we saw during during this season. So so that's all. I, I certainly understand why. Um, it's not a hill I'm dying on. I, I, yeah. I yeah. It it's not the biggest of deals to me, but I, I mean. Would you agree he's our best pitcher? I would agree that he has the most potential to be the best pitcher. I would not but, agree but that he's, he's been the best been pitcher a- this year. Yeah. Um, hmm. That's the thing that makes this hard for me is that based on where he is right now, I'm not confident that he's the best pitcher. I think he has the best stuff. I think he has the potential to be the best pitcher. But what we have seen from him this year, he's not the best pitcher. But if we if we acknowledge what we've said throughout this episode, that, look, we don't really know anything about this season because it was so short, and the fact that of those three, he has, um, like the other two have, outperformed their peripherals uh, um, much better than he has. So you could still make a decent argument that even with the stats this year that, you know, Flaherty is, uh, yeah, I don't know. It just seems, it would just seem crazy to me to not have him on the mound for one of these games. But I mean, I just said it would be crazy to me. And then I was about to say, but I get it. Uh, so I, I don't know if I can really say that. <laughs> That's why uh, this conversation uh, is so fascinating to me, because based on what Adam Wainwright has done this season, right? Not like who we expected Adam Wainwright to be, not mm-hmm. what his, uh, you look at, okay, he's 39 years old and he's done this and he had a bad year last year and he didn't go deep into games and whatever. Based on what he has done this year, consistently right not the one time that he pitched a complete game or the one he's been that guy pretty much all season now he hasn't been without his his lesser games but even those have been not that bad and so based on what we've seen this season 
I feel more comfortable in Adam Wainwright's ability to repeat that than in Jack Flaherty's ability to suddenly flip a switch and do something he hasn't done all season. And that might not be fair fair. because I I think it's fair. Because Jack Flaherty is clearly the superior kind of all around if they're side by side at their very best, it's Jack Flaherty every time. And that's not a knock on Adam Wainwright. It's just where he is in his career versus where Jack Flaherty is in his career. But for me, the conversation is at this point is less about who should be the guy and who has been the guy. And I don't know that that's the right way to look at it, but that is how I can see the reasoning behind, you know, an Adam Wainwright start in game two versus Jack Flaherty. I think if it hadn't been for the regular rest thing, it probably would have been Adam Wainwright and Jack Flaherty and then Kim in a potential game three, which I think would have made people a lot less upset. But the Mm -hmm. idea of no Jack Flaherty at all in a series, I totally get where that seems problematic. Um, But, to me, I can I can see the logic behind almost what have you done for me lately, which doesn't doesn't feel necessarily fair, <laughs> but in the short stretch that we've seen, I don't know. I get it. Yeah, I, I guess we'll see. And if Flaherty has uh, any issues with it, I'm sure we'll find out. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> he he <laughs> he's uh, not left too much to the imagination as far as his feelings about things this year, which I can appreciate and uh, you know respect the transparency from him. So we'll see. That'll all get started on Wednesday afternoon. Of course, the Cardinals seem to always play the early game, so they will play uh, just after four o'clock St. Louis time, I believe. All the time zones uh, suddenly we haven't had to to, to worry about time zones all summer. <laughs> It's a five and, o'clock uh, start tomorrow. Is that right? I believe it's a four o'clock start St. Oh. Louis time. Four, okay. Yeah. Four for you. So five, yeah. Five, okay. Yeah. So two okay. o'clock local time in, uh, in San Diego. So they'll get those, they'll get that ball rolling and we'll see, I believe Paddock is going to start for the Padres because their top two starters are trying to figure out if they can come back from, uh, minimal injuries, leaving games early in their last couple of starts. So some intrigue there as well. And we'll see how it all shakes out. So, Alex, any uh, any desire to make a prediction here for this series? Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> Cardinals and three. I, I have no idea. Okay. Yeah. Cardinals right. and three. I like it. What's uh, I, I am less confident than I wish I was. Um, but weird things have been weird. So I will echo that and say I think Cardinals in... Oh man, I would. It depends on what their pitching is. Um, well, you only have two options here. I'll Sarah. I'll change it up and be exceptionally optimistic, which I have not been all year. Which is probably not a great time to to change that and say Cardinals in two. Well, we have good playoff history with the Padres. So That's true. That's true. And see, then up. it sets up Jack Flaherty for, for the next one. series. Yeah. all right well if any of you have any other ideas uh or predictions or questions please feel free to let us know alex uh we've gone a little bit long tonight but it's sort of like a a wrap-up of the regular season so i think that's fair do we uh finish this off with a chirp of the week tonight we do uh real quick i want to update something daniel and i talked about last week i was wondering aloud if Anyone besides Ozzie Smith had ever hit zero home runs and finished in the top three in MVP voting. And I can tell you that one other player has done that. If you go back, if you start with 1947, uh, there's a chance that, because I believe they started handing out the MVP award, I think I saw in 1931 or around that time. So there's a chance someone between 1931 and 1936, excuse me, 1946 also did it. But I'm starting with 1947. And the only other person to pull that feed off, which again is to finish the season with zero home runs, but still finish in the top three in MVP voting was Mari Wills in 1965 when he finished third uh, nice. in MVP voting. Now, I think Ozzy might have the highest uh, war. He, 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 had, uh, he finished the 87 season with uh, 6.4 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. And uh, I think that's the highest um, which is kind of cool, uh, but I could be wrong. I'll have to double check that one, but that's not the chirp of the week actually. Um, 
This is the Chirp of the Week, and it's actually also kind of an extension of something we talked about last week, or rather Daniel's Chirp of the Week. He brought up the fact that the Cardinals have only finished the regular season with a 500 record once, um, and that was when that was in 1973 when they finished 81 and 81. Now, this, what I'm about to do, is going to be a pretty big waste of time. This is not that important. But uh, I wanted to look at other seasons. Um, and I, I only looked at 162-game seasons, um, which began in 1962. So we're talking about 58, 60 years or so. But, of course, you know, there's been seasons that are interrupted by strike or seasons where they had um, a makeup game that didn't get made up for whatever reason. Um I I pushed all those aside. So I'm only looking at seasons that ended in that where they played 162 games. Uh, so that that made the sample a little smaller. Um, and I wanted to see what other what other records are there that the Cardinals have only done once. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. This is yeah. This is so unimportant. I can't even begin to describe how unimportant this is. Uh, you know, like uh, John Boyce of SB Nation does that scoreagami thing, where he uh-huh. anytime there's like a football score that's never been done before. You know, he talks about it like um, in the NFL. If like I don't know, if mm-hmm. there's like a a football game that ends with like a score of like thirty nine to four or something. You know, that would <laughs> that would be a classic example. That's kind of what this is. We'll call this rec- recordagami uh there you go no we're not we're not going to say that that's <laughs> all right anyway here they are so since uh they started playing 162 games i believe there are let me count them one two three four thirteen different records that the cardinals have had where they've only done it once um and here they are and i'm start i'm going to start with uh highest win total work my way down so in 2005, the Cardinals finished with a hundred with a record of 105 and 57. That is the only time they have done that. In 1985, they finished with a record of 101 and 61. That's the only time they've had that record in their history. Now in 1967, they finished with a record of 101 and 60, but they had a game that they didn't make up. So, so it's different. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1982, they. When they won the World Series, they had a record of 92 and 70. It's the only time they've had that record. In 2003, they finished with a record of 85 and 77. And believe it or not, that's the only time they've had that record, which surprises me. It seems like they've been an 85 win team uh, a bunch of times in my life, but nope, just that one year. In 1975, they finished 82 and 80, only time they've had that record. 73, the 81 and 81, as we mentioned last week, only time they've had that record. In uh, 1983, they finished 79 and 83, only time they've done that. In 2007, the uh, only time they've finished uh, under 500 in this millennium, I guess, they finished 78 and 84. That was a recordagami. <laughs> um, in 1980, <laughs> they finished 74 and 88. In 1997, 73 and 89. Again, those records have never been done before by the Cardinals. 1976, 72 and 90. Only time they've ever done that, thank God. In 1990, 70 and 92. Gross. We don't ever want to see that again. In 1978, uh, the year before I was born, 69 and 93. Uh, Another record we don't ever want to see again. Those are the 13 records since they started playing 162-game schedule where they actually played 162 games that they've only done once. Um, now I'm going to tell you the best record that they've done, that they've their best record that they've done more than once. And that is they won a hundred games in 2015 and 2005. So they've done that twice. Now they finished a season 97 and 65. So finished the season with 97 wins three times in 1968 2002 and 2013 the record that they've had the most times during this whole thing is uh okay they they, they've had two records where they've done it five times they've gone 86 and 76 five times 1979 1989 2008 2010 and uh, 2016 
and they've gone 83 and 79 five times. And that would be in 1966, 1977, 1992, 1998, and 2017. Uh, notice I didn't say 2006 because, as we noted last week, they actually went 83 and 78 that year. Um, so that does not count. Um, but they did win the World Series that year, and that does count. It's on their uh, plaques and banners and everything. So there you go. That is your trip of the week. Uh, records that have never been done before by the Cardinals. There you go. And I hope that, <laughs> well, this will be another one to add to that, right? It, it, as far as records that have never been done before, but only because of yes, the yeah, number of I, games they played yeah, this year. So that doesn't really count. another season yeah. end with yeah. a 30 and 28 <laughs> record. Now, uh, you know, uh, since I'm only doing 162 game schedules here, I, there's plenty of room for them to win 104 games, 103 games. These are all on the board to claim for records that have never been done before. So that's what I would like to see going forward. There you go. Maybe next year we'll get the second consecutive year of never before been done records, but with a full season. Let's let's start hoping for that now. Yes. At this point, I don't know how realistic that might be, but let's let's hope and continue to hold on to that good thought because we need them right now in life. And hopefully more good thoughts will come after the Cardinals play the Padres on Wednesday and then we will circle back next week to talk about whatever happened and whatever it means for the Cardinals moving forward and see if uh See if they can pull off what would appear to be the upset at this point as far as the baseball world is concerned. So feel free to follow us on Twitter. You probably already are, but if you're not, I'm at Dara Wellman. He's at AlexCard79. You can follow Birds on the Black at Birds on the Black and subscribe or rate or whatever it is that you do to your favorite podcasts on your favorite podcast listening service. And let us know what you think the Cardinals will do in this series with the Padres. We'll be back to talk about it all, whatever happens, the good, the bad, the ugly, and whatever comes next, next week. So for Alex, I'm Tara. We'll talk to you next time.